Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, before we do get started, I do want to let you know this program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. And you can uh, become a supporter of the show on a monthly, ongoing basis at patreon.greatdetectives.net. And uh, we have uh, levels of support going from $2 and up to $30 and up. Uh, And uh, also you can uh, give a one-time gift at support.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of The Crime Files of Lamont. And as we've stated previously, our best guess is that these aired sometime in 1953. So here now is The Case of the Victimized Victim. The Crime Files of Lamont. New file card, please, Miss Lake. Ed says one of his most promising young scientists is being poisoned. Fears the young man is involved in a scandal that may discredit the school. Flamand, the most unusual detective in criminal history. Flamand, famous psychologist and character analyst. Flamand, who looks beyond laughter and tears, jealousy and greed, to discover their basic origin. And now, card number 175 from the Crime Files of Lamont. Tonight's story opens in the attractive home of Tom and Catherine Fabry. The husband and wife are dressed for a formal dinner. But Tom doesn't seem to like Catherine's gown. Kathy, don't you think that dress is a little daring to wear to a faculty party? Daring? Tom, be your age. It's a beautiful gown. It does things for me. Kathy, we're not in cafe society, and the faculty doesn't approve of such What are you trying to say is that the faculty doesn't approve of me. I suppose they approve of young scientists doing research work with beautiful blonde stenographers. What are you talking about? You don't think I'm a complete fool? You and your secretary are the talk of the campus. Kathy, don't be like that. I never thought that you were the jealous type. I'm not. But if you're interested in appearances, it seems to me you should worry more about June Dale than about me. You can leave my secretary out of this. The point is that you could be a lot more helpful to me. I financed all your experimental work, if that's what you want. I bought the furniture. Oh, I I don't mean money. You always seem eager enough to get your hands on it. Your salary is only half enough to keep this place going. And if you think I intend to finance an affair with you, or that, that June Dale, you... I won't even dignify such a statement, Kathy. But I could be the next head of the department. And at my age, that would be phenomenal. I won't get it if you don't cooperate. The university's social life is tremendously important, and you are well qualified to handle it, but you, you just don't seem to care. You're quite right. I don't care. And if the faculty doesn't approve of me, it's mutual. You'd think there were a bunch of scared cows. Well, some of their wives... Kathy, you knew what kind of life you were entering when you married me. You... I suppose I knew about June Dale. Why did you marry me, Kathy? Everybody told me what a brilliant mind you had. 
And you're a handsome hunk of man. And Aunt Evie liked you. Evidently, you'd read a book on romance. Unbelievable as it seems now, Tommy. You swept me off my feet. I didn't know about your secretary. Patty, let's be sensible. Now run along and change that dress before the dean lays some dinner. Hurry up, please. Guess again, Tommy. If you're taking me to dinner, you're taking me in this. Oh, let go of my arm. Tommy, you're hurting me. I'd hate to break your arm, Catherine, but that's exactly what I'll do if you don't change that dress. You must be out of your mind. Oh, my wrist. I can do just about anything I like, Catherine. You try it. You... It's time for a showdown, Catherine. It certainly is. June, you can leave her out of this. I forgot all about the scientific approach when I met you, Kathy. All I knew was that I wanted you. How romantic, Coffee. I was in love with you, and I thought you loved me. I didn't care about your aunt being a very wealthy woman. I'd have been perfectly content to struggle along on my salary. There was no reason for you to do what you did, Catherine, really. What are you talking about? Don't forget that I'm a scientist, Kathy, and try to believe that I'm a good one. What does your being a scientist have to do with it? It has a lot to do with things. I have the evidence that you killed your Aunt Evie. What? You must be out of your mind. You... Why, we weren't even there when she had her last attack. And her heart has been bad for years. You're crazy. I'm completely sane. You killed her for money. Money that I wasn't giving you and couldn't give you. Well, now you have it. If you think you can get June Dale out of the picture by throwing a ridiculous charge at me like that, you're mistaken. I'll start divorce proceedings tomorrow. No. No, I don't think you will. Why not? Because, Kathy, the minute you start divorce proceedings, you'll land in jail on a murder charge. Well, I did everything in the world I could for Aunt Evie. I loved her. Her death put you in direct control of money. A lot of money. But your Aunt Evie was a smart woman. She knew something was wrong, and she couldn't understand why the digitalis had lost its effectiveness. She asked me to examine it. The bottle you brought her from the drugstore. You think you could prove a trumped-up story like that? Yes, indeed. How? My dear, I don't want to tempt you. If I were to tell you what proof I have, where it is, how you could get it, the temptation might be too great. The same thing might happen to me that happened to your Aunt Evie. The temptation couldn't be greater than it is right now. I'll get it. Hello? Oh, yes, June. What? But the faculty dinner, you... Oh, very well, I'll hurry right over. Yes, right away. Goodbye. Don't tell me you're going to miss the faculty dinner. I'm afraid I'll have to. So, you don't need to worry anymore about the dress. I never was worried about it. Tom, you'd better do a little worrying yourself. Don't tell me there's trouble at the university, Professor Preston. At least nothing that needs a detective. I don't know, Flamand. That's why I came to see you. Well, I hope it's nothing serious, Dr. Preston. Uh, thank you, Miss Lake. I've known Tom Fabry ever since he was a graduate student. Tremendously promising boy. As for Catherine, his wife, well, her Aunt Evelyn was one of our most loyal alumni. 
splendid contributor during her lifetime. The Fabry's are having trouble? Uh, definitely. Oh, now, Professor, there never was a young married couple yet that didn't have a few little disagreements. Uh, this isn't a little disagreement. Uh, Tom Fabry's lost about ten pounds in the last week, and he's always been a slender chap. His uh, face has become drawn, and he complains of pains in the vicinity of his heart. Uh, has he been to see a doctor? Yes, Dr. Wallace called me. It's his opinion that Tom Fabry's been poisoned. And do you think it's his wife? I, well, really, I don't know. I don't know at all. But she's been angry at him about, uh, well, he's been quite indiscreet with his secretary. Well, I can see why she'd be angry with him. I don't think that uh, I... Catherine's Aunt Evelyn died of uh, heart trouble. Uh, Catherine inherited a great deal of money from her. And that trouble makes me wonder... Was there any talk about the aunt's death? Oh, no, none whatsoever. But we were a little disappointed at the university. She didn't leave us any money, and we'd always been led to believe that she'd do quite handsomely by the school. Well, what do you want me to do, Professor? Uh, whatever's necessary. Uh, Tom Fabry's a promising young researcher. Did the doctor tell Fabry that he was being poisoned? Uh, Tom said the doctor told him he was suffering from a heart condition aggravated, if not caused, by chemical actions foreign to the natural internal processes. Oh, that's... Uh complicated way of telling a man is being poisoned, but if that is a scientist, he certainly should understand it. Uh, of course. And still he hasn't done anything about it? Not that I know of. And uh, he keeps looking worse. Well, what do you want me to do? Well, that's up to you entirely. Mm-hmm. Then bring Fabry up here to talk to me. Uh, no, uh, no, that won't work. Why not? I suggested that to him before I came. I told him you were extremely discreet, but he absolutely refused to come. And the only thing to do is for you to commission us to talk to Mrs. Fabry. Oh, no, no, no. I couldn't do that. I'd tell her that you suspected her of poisoning her husband and that I'd been retained to see that nothing happened to him. What? Oh, listen, Flamandra, I can't get mixed up in this thing. The university wouldn't stand for it. No? But I can't work in a case without being hired by somebody. But a man is being poisoned. Until somebody comes to me with a case, I can't do anything about it. I suppose not. But it would be absolutely out of the question for me to stir up trouble... Well, thanks, anyway. Oh, you're quite welcome, Professor. If you should change your mind about wanting to engage my services, let me know. Uh, thank you. Uh, goodbye. Well, a man, it seems wrong that we can't do anything when we know a man's being poisoned. It is wrong, Sandra. Call Mrs. Fabro and tell her I'd like to talk to her at once about a confidential matter. Well, you're not going to accuse her of poisoning her husband. No. No, I'm going to try to persuade her to become a client. I think somebody's trying to get her into trouble. I went to see a detective today, Tom. A remarkable detective. <laughs> you? That's very funny. I don't think so. And neither does he. He's of the opinion that someone is trying to work a frame-up on me. Is that so? Yes. So you might as well quit giving yourself those carefully measured doses of poison. Really, I think it's dangerous. You have the nerve to say that I've been giving myself poison. But you went to a detective. You didn't go to a lawyer to start divorce proceedings. You're afraid of that, aren't you? I thought that all out, Tom. I'm not getting any divorce till I find out who murdered our baby. I'm going to have proof. Proof enough to hang you. Don't press your luck, Kathy. And if you kill me, you'll find the evidence that proves you killed your Aunt Evie. You'd better try to keep me alive, Catherine. I'd forget the poison if I were you. You know I haven't given you any poison, just as well as you know that I didn't murder Aunt Evie. Why, good afternoon, Professor Preston. You haven't been around for a long time. Won't you come in? I thank you. 
Thank heaven I got to you, Tom, before the police. Tom, we've got to keep the university out of this. Out of what? What are you talking about? The janitor just found June Dale, Tom. On the floor of your office. What? There's something wrong with her? She's dead, Tom. Poisoned. No. I don't believe it. Professor, you surely don't think I did it. Well, you've got to believe me. I didn't. Why, I wouldn't... Nobody's accusing you of anything, Tom. She left a note. A note evidently scrawled while she was dying. I hope that makes you feel wonderful, Tom. You led that girl along the, to the point where she committed suicide. No. No, Catherine. She didn't commit suicide. What? Then... The note tells the whole story, Catherine. She wrote that you sent some cake and a thermos of coffee over to Tom's office this afternoon. When Tom didn't come back to the office after his last class, she drank some of the coffee. She called Dr. Wallace, but he got there too late. But I, I didn't send anything to the office. I didn't. The thermos was still there, Catherine. Dr. Wallace said it was full of poison. No, it isn't true. You've got to believe me. I'd like to believe you, Catherine. I tried to get here before the police for just one reason. What's that? To try to keep Tom and the university out of it, my dear. But that's impossible. Tom, why did you kill her? Now, that won't work, Catherine. I was afraid you might accuse Tom, Catherine. That's why I had to talk to you. It won't work. But he killed her, I know it. And if I can't accuse him, he... Who, why accuse anybody, Catherine? June Dale's note made the accusation that will stand up. <laughs> Tonight's story. Lamond and Sandra have been given five minutes in Catherine Tabry's cell, much against the police captain's wishes. I didn't kill the girl, Lamond. You've got to believe me. I hated her. Why wouldn't I hate her? But I didn't kill her. I'm sure you didn't, Mrs. Fabry. But I wanted to ask you a few questions. Had you ever seen that thermos before, the one that had the poisoned coffee in it? Yes. It came out of a picnic hamper of ours. Hmm. Well, there was some cake, too. I haven't baked a cake for weeks. With things going the way they were at home, I didn't feel like spending much time in the kitchen. I'd even be letting Tom get his own lunch. I don't blame him. Uh, your husband ate lunch at home? No. He took a couple of sandwiches to the office with him. That way he had extra time for research work. Mrs. Fabry, do you have a will? Why, yes. I was going to change it, though. And who gets your money in the event of your death? Tom. I meant to change it as soon as I could get the proof that he killed Aunt Olivia, but... You think he killed your aunt? I'm quite sure of it. He says he has evidence that she was murdered, and he's threatening to expose me as the murderer. He said something about, did you tell us? Did he ever have any opportunity to switch a bottle of substitute medicine for the did you tell us? I suppose so. Aunt Olivia liked him. She seemed awfully happy when she found out Tom and I were going to be married... She was always very close to the university and the people in it. Uh, do you suppose he killed your aunt and his secretary found out about it some way? Now, for one, that might explain why he got interested in her. Why he pretended to have developed a fondness for her. Yes, might. June Dare was blackmailing her, of course. And he had to kill her. Uh, that makes a beautiful theory, Sandra, but it hardly explains the girl's call to Dr. Wallace or her note, both accusing Mrs. Fabry of the poisoning. Nothing explains those things, does it? I'm afraid not, Mrs. Fabry. The real reason I came here was to tell you not to give up hope. I know I'm innocent. They can't convict an innocent person. 
I'm not so sure of that, Mrs. Fabry. The evidence is stacked against you, and it's rather complete. Oh, no, do you mean you think they can convict her? The way things stand, there's no doubt about it. But you said not to give up. And I meant it. No matter how black things look, you're not whipped. Remember that. You will need to remember it because things may look very bad. They look bad enough right now. Mr. Fabry, Ramon said to see if you could do something to help your wife. I haven't the slightest desire to help her, Miss Lake. When I married her, I thought she was the most wonderful person in the world. And then I found out that she killed her Aunt Evie for money. You can't know such a thing. No? Catherine had gotten some digitalis from the drugstore for Aunt Evie. Aunt Evie asked me to analyze it. I thought it was a silly whim of an old sick woman. Well? I put enough of the stuff out of the bottle to last her a couple of days, and I took the bottle to the laboratory, where I promptly forgot about it. Evie died that night. The next day, I tested what was supposed to be digitalis. It wasn't. Lamont and I believe she's innocent of both murders. I... Well, maybe you're right. Maybe I should help her. But what can I do in the face of all the evidence against her? I haven't the faintest idea, Mr. Fabry. It's up to you. suppose you wonder why I asked Professor Preston to be here, Flamond. Miss Lake's going to take down what I say, and you and Professor Preston are to get lawyers to draw up the new will for me. Very well. Professor Preston, Aunt Evie always meant to give a good deal of her fortune to the university. I know. She always told me as much. But uh, she didn't get around to changing her will. Naturally, in view of everything that's happened, I don't want Tom to have the money. I, uh, yeah, I suppose I can understand that. At first, I intended to leave everything to the university. And then I got another idea. I'm innocent, and I want my name cleared. I'm going to leave my entire fortune to a trust to be administered by Clermont. He'll have absolute control of it. He can spend every cent of it if he likes trying to prove my innocence. But uh, that's impossible, my dear. Maybe. But I know I'm innocent. There's always a chance it can be proved. The minute my complete innocence is established, the balance of the trust goes outright to the university. But uh, do you think that's wise, Catherine? That's what I want to do with my money. But it's a good deal of money. Uh, suppose Flamand should uh, spend the entire sum without proving your innocence. Then that's that. But uh, then the university wouldn't get a cent. That's quite right. But, but the, the school needs the money so badly. Funds are appropriated for everything but research. And there are such tremendous things to be done. Many great fields to explore. There are things so much more important than your life or mine or anyone. Well, you're arguing me with me, Professor. My mind's made up. But, uh, I said my mind's made up, Professor. I'm coming, I'm coming. Why, Professor Person, I'm sorry to get you out so late, Tom. I'm being sent on a mysterious but tremendously important mission, Tom. I can't even tell you what it involves. 
As a matter of fact, I'm not even permitted to say anything to the president of the university. That sounds like something in atomic research, maybe. I can't tell you that, my boy. It's the opportunity of a lifetime to do something for my country, but I'm not dramatizing the dangers of it. That's why I came to you. What do you mean? I'm supposed to be gone for four months at the most. Uh, so far as the school knows, I've just disappeared. But if at the end of six months I'm not back, well, I won't be back. Oh, you'll be back, Professor. The scientific mind provides for every contingency. I'm entrusting you with my personal will here. I'll be glad to keep it for you, Professor. If... And naturally, I want nothing known of this until after the six months. I'm trusting you to say nothing about it and to keep it intact in this envelope until that time. Oh, you know you can trust me, Professor. I'm sure I can. Well, goodbye, Tom, and wish me luck. I wish you all the luck in the world, Professor. Going somewhere, Professor? Why, yes, I... Just leaving. Remember what I told you, Tom. Don't worry, Professor. Uh, just a minute, Professor Preston. Stick around a while. Sandra and I have some news. News? I, I'm in a hurry, Flamand. I'll have to be running along. Uh, not just yet. We've been following you, Professor, ever since we left Mrs. Fabry's cell. What? Uh, I don't understand. Why should I you... I believe the Professor gave you a heavily sealed envelope, Fabry. I'd like to take a look at it. Really, Flamand, you can't. It's a private matter. Some highly confidential information. Get it here, Fabry. Why, it's nothing but his... It's a secret document which you have no right to see, Flamand. And I warn you, if you so much as tear the seal on it... Flamand, look out! He has a gun! And a thorough scientific understanding of the weapon, Miss Lake. I shouldn't hesitate to kill all three of you if necessary. But I thought... That envelope contains his confession, Fabry. Confession of what? Of two murders. Your wife, Sands, and your secretary. Our meeting at the jail with Mrs. Fabry was a put-up job, Preston. I had told Mrs. Fabry exactly what to say. What are you talking about? I know that Preston had gone crazy on the subject of endowments and gifts for his department. I had an idea that he'd murdered your wife, Sands, to get research money, and he'd been fooled. But he was determined to get that money. It was ours, rightfully. She promised it to me. And then she hadn't even taken the trouble to change her will. Research that would have benefited all humanity had to go undone because of a careless, thoughtless woman. Then you did kill her. Yes, the whole story's in that envelope. I wanted a six-month's head start on the authorities. By that time, I'd have been in South America, and Catherine Fabry would have been dead. Well, the school will still get that money if I have to kill all three of you. Give me that envelope, Tom. You mean this envelope contains evidence that clears Cassie of both crimes? If you what? hadn't been blind, you'd never have fallen for any of it, Tom. You let personal emotions cloud your scientific judgment. Give me that envelope. No. I'm warning you, Tom. Give me that envelope. Your life means no more to me than any of the others. Or mine either, for that matter. All right, you won't. Come on. Let go my arm. Grab the gun, grab it before he fires again. I've got his wrist. i got it. <laughs> Whatever made you do this horrible thing, Professor? It was all for the college. You understand, don't you, Tom? I understand a great many things now, Professor. And I don't suppose I should try to send a crazy man to the electric chair. But I'd like to. In a moment, Flamand and his secretary, Sandra Lake, will return to bring you the basic clue in tonight's story. And now, the basic clue in tonight's story. Flamand. Hmm? 
Right at the start, you seemed positive Mrs. Fabry wasn't trying to poison her husband. You actually made her your client. How did you know? Well, that was pretty simple, Sandra. You see, if a person has already committed one murder and wanted to commit another, do you think that person would try to do it by slow stages? What do you mean? Well, I mean that a successful crime hardens a murderer. The second crime is apt to be quicker and more brutal than the first. And anyway, can you imagine anyone wanting to commit murder and giving the victim time enough to find out all about it? I can't. If she'd given him poison, she'd have given him enough in one dose to kill him. Yeah, I suppose you're right about that. But what made you suspect Professor Preston? Oh, uh, he's coming to tell us about something that apparently didn't concern him, for one thing, Sandra. Also, his mention of the school being promised money by the girl's aunt for another. He was much too close to the whole affair for an innocent bystander. And uh, if he'd sincerely been concerned about the fight between the Fabries as head of the department, he certainly should have dismissed June Dale. While he was protesting Fabry's innocence in the girl, he kept it alive by keeping her on at the department. But how did he forge the note that was supposed to have been written by June Dale? The one accusing Mrs. Fabry of the murder. Oh, he didn't, Sandra. She wrote it. You see, it was all part of a very clever scheme on his part. June Dale was infatuated with Fabry. Professor Preston got her to put a small amount of harmless poison in Fabry's lunches to make him think his wife was trying to poison him. But, uh... Well, how, how did she get poisoned, and why did she write that note? Oh, that was the cleverest part. Preston told her to take part of this harmless poison herself. Then write a note accusing Mrs. Fabry, then call Dr. Willis, and then pretend to pass out. She thought that would get Fabry away from Catherine for sure, so she agreed to the professor's plan. But he substituted deadly poison. Right. Oh, well, I have the title for tonight's file card. Hmm? I'm calling it The Case of the Victimized Victim. Case of the Victimized Victim, card number 175 from the Crime Files of Vermont, featuring Hart McGuire as Vermont and Sheila Toole as Sandra Lake. This is Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web Surface series. Oh, and a man's wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. Welcome back. Well, an incredibly uh, interesting mystery. I, I love the setup of this case and the overall story. Even if the villain was a tad uh, melodramatic in the conclusion. Uh, but a nice bit of uh, scientific or psychological detective work by Flamond. All right, well, now we do turn to listener comments and feedback, and I have this from Debbie. Uh, thanks so much, Adam, for sharing the lost episodes of the lineup. Can't wait to hear them. Well, thanks so much, Debbie, and I'm looking forward to uh, hearing them all uh, myself. It's, it's, I had to listen to enough of them just to um, determine uh, that, uh, they weren't ones that I'd heard before. And I'm pretty confident that, um, we've got it down to ones that are somewhat, um, new. So that are, are new to the show. So, um, 
I think that uh, it's going to be a lot of fun as we uncover some previously um, unheard episodes of the lineup, or at least previously unheard on this program. All right, well, though, uh, that will do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with the adventures of Philip Marlowe, and then join us back here next Tuesday for another episode of the Crime Files of Lamont. In the meantime, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Radio Detectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.